Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Drowski Show as I speak. It's Friday, March 11th, 2022. Here's a headline in the newspaper. Oh, is this appropriate for what we're about to do? Headline. I swear to God, ladies and gentlemen, I didn't make this up. This just popped in. Uh, it's actually off of my phone. This just popped in my phone about five minutes before we started doing this show. Headline, New York Times, The Godfather at 50. <laughs> Al Pacino on The Godfather. It's taken me a lifetime to accept it and move on. I'll tell you something, Al Pacino. It's taken me 50 years to really appreciate The Godfather as a movie. And I, I'm just so eager to talk about this. There's so much horror in the world today. This will be a, a much necessary diversion for me. I have two distinguished guests who know way more about movies, number one, than I do, and way more about The Godfather than I do. So without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guests to introduce themselves. Well, I'll start with distinguished guests whose first initial is S. Uh, that would be me, right? Uh, when you said distinguished, I looked around and said, who's he talking about? <laughs> um, uh, hi, I'm Sergio Mims, and I am a film programmer, a, a uh, film critic, journalist, a film historian, and of course, the co-programmer and the co-founder of the Black Harvest Film Festival, which will be celebrating this year its 28th year. Can you believe that? No. 28 years. I can't believe it. And I'm making an effort uh, to have Francis Ford Coppola be the first white guy celebrated at the Black... <laughs> no, <laughs> actually, you know who was the first guy celebrated? This is... This is a trivia question. Can you guess who? A white guy? Yeah, yeah. Um, Woody Harrelson from White Man Can't Jump. No, he made a film. Steve James. Uh, Steve James of Hoop Dream Same. No, he made a film, a, do- a very good documentary we showed about three years ago about his friendship with Muhammad Ali. And, uh, and it contained a lot of clips from his talk show. Yes. Is that a clue? Yes. Uh, it, you know what I'm talking about? Was it Dick Cavett? Dick Cavett. Yes, very good. All right. Uh, come Dick on, Cavett gonna... and uh, you... Dick Cavett came for the uh, festival, and uh, that was a great night. That was a great night. It was a great night. It's a great flick, and also um, 
Uh, there was a, I, mean, I didn't mean to say there was n- never been a white guy uh, uh, who's been um, featured at the film festival. In fact, I once saw you do an interview with the director of the uh, uh, the Sly and the Family Stone movie, which is, oh, I just love that. Uh, oh, that yeah. Uh-huh. That was a great time. All right. Second distinguished guest. I almost forgot. He already talked. I haven't even introduced him. You introduce yourself. Second distinguished guest. Go ahead. Yeah, I know we're on podcast, but just so you guys know that I came to to play ball, I wore my uh, my best Robert Evans uh, sunglasses. <laughs> Robert Evans was the, uh, the head of Paramount, the executive of Paramount during The Godfather. All right. My name is Chris Buddy. I am a documentary filmmaker, uh, content producer living in Chicago, and uh, happy to be here. All right. Uh, so there's a lot I want to cover with The Godfather. It's an extraordinary movie, uh, Sergio. I already told Chris this. I watched to prepare for this show. I watched it last night again. I think it's been at least 15 years since I've seen it. It was better than I remembered, which is very rare for me with an old movie that I'm watching again. I liked it more uh, than I had previously liked it. And I'm not quite sure. Well, I think I do know why. Uh, but uh, So let me start with this question. And... Uh, the first time, Sergio, you started to tease this when you were on. Sergio was on the show Wednesday talking politics with Monroe Anderson. Anyway, you started to tease it. And I cut you short. First time you saw Godfather, Godfather 1, came out in 1972. Sergio and I are the same exact age, Chris, buddy. We went to no, we're high, not, we graduated we're much high school. Older. <laughs> oh, she, he wishes. So when was the first time you saw The Godfather? I saw it when it came out. Which is which was this month? It opened in March of 1972. Uh, it played at Chicago Theater, and I cut school to go see the picture. I did that a lot when I was in high school. I would just cut school, and uh, since it's a long movie, I I don't remember if I went to school that day. Maybe for the first two classes, and then I kind of ducked out and saw the film. So that's the first time I saw it. Do you remember which theater was that? Yeah, Chicago Theater. Chicago Chicago Theater. Okay, yeah, downtown right. Chicago Theater. And right. Godfather Two played at the State Lake. And that and did you cut school for that tour, or you you were probably yeah. already out of high school by then? Uh, no, all I, right. think, I think I cut school then. Yeah. Okay, he was a young scholar. Which is an even longer movie, which means uh, I probably didn't go to school <laughs> all that day. No, to prepare for it, you took the whole week off, uh, which is what I would have done. Uh, by the way, uh, Sergio was a young scholar at Kenwood uh, High School in uh, Hyde Park. Chris Buddy, first time you ever saw Godfather 1. Oh, man, not as uh, storied, but I saw it on those old school double VHS tapes in the mid-90s when I was in high school. But I watched uh, all three back-to-back, and then I bought the DVDs when they came out. So I've seen it. You know, every so often, but I just like you, I watched it two nights ago again in, in kind of celebration of the 50th anniversary, and uh, I was blown away anew. Okay. Uh, so, Sergio, do you join us with li- liking it more with the passing years, or are you one of those folks who liked it more way back when, and your adoration for it has diminished over time? No, I like it more. First of all, it's simply because as you get older, you see more things that you could that went over your head when you were a kid. Um, so it, it, it grows in richness and, um, nuance and you see things as you, when you get older than adult, you experience life and this movie, among other things, is about life. It's about family. Uh, I should also mention that the 4k set is coming out week after next, uh, all three. So, uh, Paramount, back when Paramount was a real film studio making real movies, um, they um, 
know that they have a classic, uh, well, at least two classics on their hands. And so uh, it's being released in theaters in a celebration. And like I said, now it's coming out in 4K, I think, on the 24th of this month. So what is it about the movie, uh, Sergio, and then we'll get to uh, Chris with this. What is it about the movie that you like so much? I've been thinking a lot about this all day long. What exactly it is that that just draws me to this movie. What is it with you? Well, what is it that draws the movie to everybody? First of all, it, I think it's because it is about a family. It's about a loving family. Even though they're gangsters, they're a loving family. Um the father loves his sons, the sons love him, and they come into a conflict that they have to um, resolve. Now, I think one of the things that really draws people to the movie is the dilemma that Michael finds himself in. All movies deal with conflict, but uh, really good movies also deal with dilemma which is a situation in which a main character is damned if he does or damned if he doesn't. There are no, what either decision he has to make is not preferable. And in the movie, we're gripped by Michael, who's really the lead in the film. And he, is a, he finds himself in the situation. He doesn't want to be a gangster. His father doesn't want to be a gangster. But he, he's faced with two choices. Either he stands back and let the family be completely wiped out by rival families, or he's forced to become a gangster. And he has to make that decision. And it turns out that he's the best gangster of them all. <laughs> you know, that's the thing about the movie. At the end, he's more ruthless. He's more cunning. He's more cold-blooded. Than anybody in his family or anybody's going to deal with. Yeah. Uh, Chris? I agree with everything you said. And even beyond family, I think the, the fact that it's about succession and what you said about Michael is right. I mean, he was, you know, he was the right person to step into the role of all the, I mean, you know, you could break out the different brothers and, and Sonny and then Fredo and then Michael, which I'm sure we'll get into. But he, and I agree with everything you said about why the movie stands the test of time. But even, I'll take a step back a little more even superficially beyond the rich tapestry of the movie, which is the it's really kind of a really awesome time of, of filmmaking and movies that were coming out. And it, and, and look back, looking back on it as a younger person, right, who wasn't around when it came out, look at the cat. These are all like young, first-time actor or, or early in their career actors and an early director, probably his first big movie, obviously. And these people went on to have probably the – became Hollywood, right, for the, at least the next decade or two. And then – with Coppola and, and Pacino and, and um, Duvall, like all, you know, all these people were huge for, for throughout my entire life in movies. Um, the other thing I, I noticed when I watched it the other night is, it, I mean, just how like assured of itself it is. Right. And, and like, I think another thing too, with the test of time is you watch all these shitty movies that come out nowadays and then you go back and watch that. And it's like, man, every actor in that tapestry of the wedding or whatever scene it is, is just so committed to the role. You know, there's like, Abe Vigoda standing on the side listening to Johnny Fontaine sing. And he's just like, you believe that these people are there and doing it. I mean, it's so awesome how how legit and real, like the, whatever the paint, the, you know, the the world they painted was. So, you know, in that, it's like it's just a superior movie to like a lot of stuff that's coming out now. So there you go. Uh, well, I'll, I'm going to go ahead, Sergio. Well, I was going to say, this is a movie that went against the odds because yeah. when they made this picture, 
Um, Coppola had directed a few movies, low budget films. Yeah, it was uh, uh, your big boy now, Finian's Rainbow, Rainbow, and uh, your and uh, the Rain People, which actually the Rain, Rain People is pretty cool, right. yeah. but nothing on this scale. And of course. Um, a lot of directors wanted it. Robert Evans picked Coppola. Coppola is more known as a screenwriter. He wrote right, Patton. He Patton. just won for Patton, right? Oscar, and he yeah. also wrote the screenplay to uh, the Great Gatsby, the uh, the uh, Robert Redford film. Um, but he was really untested, I mean, to do a project of this size. Robert Evans picked him because he was Italian-American. Talk about Italian-American um, uh, preferences, you know, affirmative action. He was an Italian-American. He grew up in, uh, in a large Italian family in the 1940s. He knew that life. He knew... He could pick up, bring out nuances that other directors would have flown over their heads. But the cast was risky. Marlon Brando was almost completely washed up as a film actor. Completely. I mean, he had a decade of bombs. He was box office poison. Um, Al Pacino had been in a few movies. He he was in it. What's the film? Panic in Needle Park. Panic in Needle Park, yeah. Right, that was his first lead. But he had been in a few other films and things here and there. But he wasn't a name. Duvall had been around for a decade, but he was a familiar face. He wasn't a name. James Todd had been around for a decade, at least. But he was. he's in El Dorado. Uh, he's in Lady in the Cage. He was in other things, but um, he hadn't really broken out. And then you had all these other New York actors you had never seen before, like Abe Lincoln. So was it also was it John Cazale's first film too? No, I think it could have been. No, could have been. John Maybe. Cazale. No, he was only in five. Oh. He was only in five movies at all. Were nominated for well, best. Well, you know what? I'll look it up while you're talking. Before this, I think this was it. I'm going to look it up. His first movie. Uh, finish your thoughts. I will. Uh, our our crack research team is investigating <laughs> right. this right now. But, but go but ahead. But still, I mean that that was a movie that didn't have any box office stars in it at that time. Well, I will say, Sergio, what's interesting too is, I mean, this is where I go nuts. I mean, I am obsessed with obviously Robert Evans, as I mentioned, and, and the kind of the the, ma- the making of is you know as good as the movie. Um, Coppola turned it down a couple times too. And it was, uh, I think it was Peter Bart who, you know, went on to what create variety, but who was Bob Evans's right hand man. They had, uh, so if you want to even go back, Mario Puzo sold was in gambling debts. The writer of the That's book right. had That's sold right. had sold had sold the outline to Robert Evans and Paramount for like ten k ten g's, and uh, then it becomes the national bestseller. They don't know what to do with it, and they don't know who, who to get to director. Obviously. You know, I mean, what, if you go back, they wanted like Robert Redford to play, uh, you know, Michael or, they, you know, they had all these crazy box office like, they're, you know, this wouldn't sell in Germany or whatever, you know, however marketing people sell movies. And then, you know, I think, you know, when you hear the two sides, you know, Robert Evans, I love to death. You hear, he's like the romantic side of the story. He's like, well, I needed an Italian-American. I needed to taste the pasta. And then, you know, there's like more clear headed guys like um, Stanley Jaffe, who was the head of, you know, one of the presidents of, of Paramount 2 was like, well, we got him because we thought we might get a free rewrite because he had just won for Patton. And I think if you want to even go back further, you know, equally is kind of impressive is, is Coppola trying to kind of fuck the, the Hollywood system since he was out of film school and start Zoetrope Studios and bring George Lucas and other people along like, you know, and all the movies that he was kind of he was like the head of this little his own little studio. American and Zoetrope. I think they. Is it American Zoetrope? And I think that he was such so much in debt that, you know, I mean, obviously, in hindsight, uh, the Godfather put him into the Super League of Directing. But 
I think he was, you know, they had to convince him to do it too. He had turned it down like three times. All right. Uh, yeah. By the way, I just have and to say shooting that shooting the film was a nightmare. Wait, it before I just want to just correct one thing. Uh, who I think Sergio, you were right, and I was wrong. I always hate saying that, uh, but it was, uh, or maybe I can't remember. It was Chris Buddy who said anyway? It was John Cazale who plays Fredo. It was his first movie. I sick her. I thought he made a. Uh, I, th I actually thought he was in Panic in Needle Park, but I was wrong. Uh, so uh, Sergio, what were you about to say? I cut you off. Go ahead. No, the, the shooting was a nightmare. It was a. It was a. It was a nightmare. Uh, nobody liked Coppola. Um, I think he was always under the threat of being fired. <laughs> and yeah. you know, the funny thing is that there's so many great stories like this where you have a film that went through a horrendous production schedule and it turned out to be great. And you, you can turn around and have a movie. Everything goes perfectly. Everything goes perfectly. And the movie turns out to be a disaster. No, it was also low budget. It was very low budget. Yeah, for that kind too. of movie, for the period movie at the time, it was relatively low budget. And Marlon Brando, I believe, was the highest paid guy in the movie, even though, like I said, at that time, he was considered box office poison. And, you know, there were many actors, of course, who were considered for the role. The most obvious one, of course, is Anthony Quinn. Um, Ernest Borgnine was... was, was um, was considered, you know, who at one time was seriously considered for the part was Laurence Olivier. Oh my! Of what? Of Vito Corleone? Yeah, and wow. he turned it down. He turned <laughs> oh, he it was down. offered it. He turned it down. Uh, yeah, he turned it down. Uh, uh, so, Sergio, I went back. I mean, I you know, I went back and just leafed through the Bob Evans book, uh, "Kid Stays in the Picture," just a couple of of the. Um, of the uh, Godfather's excerpts. And, uh, you know, as you're saying, you know, it, it was a fight. It was a dog fight from, from jump street. Right. And then casting was, was equally nutty. He, uh, uh, Coppola insisted on Pacino, but Robert Evans put his foot down, said that over my dead body. Then he kind of rel relinquished. And at the time, and here's, I'd love to actually bounce this off you. Cause I don't understand. Cause you know, De Niro was in the running for, for Michael. And then, and then fell out when he went to the gang who couldn't shoot straight. And then, and then yeah, which, by the way, I haven't seen, but I have no words. Uh, don't don't rush. I saw it. Yeah. It's awful. I know it's a Jimmy Breslin thing. But so, so what I, what, again, with the cope with the great Bob Evans story is he says, okay, let's go. I'm, I'm okay with, with Michael Corleone being out, but you know, Pacino had signed on to the gang. He couldn't shoot straight. And he said, oh, my God, I'm, I'm dead in the water. Like I fought and now they want him and now I can't get him. So he called his boy, Sidney Korshak, you know, the famed labor, labor lawyer, uh, uh, Al Capone guy. Sidney Korshak calls Kirk Kirkorkian, who owned MGM, and said, hey, listen, if you want the uh, MGM grand finished, you're going to let uh, 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 <laughs> Pacino out of his contract for the game couldn't shoot straight. And that, and that was like how it happened. And then they got that guy. I didn't know yeah, that. Unbelievable. Yeah, Sidney yeah. Korshak, uh, whose brother, Marshall Korshak, was the Democratic committeeman of the Fifth Ward which is the ward that Sergio Mims uh, grew up in. So everything comes wow. back to Chicago everything politics. Everything goes full circle, baby. Uh, yes. No, no, fourth ward. Uh, well, back in the day, you were probably in the fifth ward, and now it's the fourth ward. It's been redistricted. Um, anyway, you know what, Sergio? Arguing politics with me is like arguing movies with you. Ultimately, you will lose. I was just approved uh, when I said uh, John Cazale was his first movie. Here's something that struck me uh, when I watched it last night. Um, the pacing. This is a movie that's completely unafraid 
Sergio and Chris, to take its freaking time to tell the story it wants to tell. And that opening sequence, which I just find better with time, with the wedding. Of, it's so long. It's so long. The people coming to Marlon Brando, the Godfather, asking him with their requests, being ushered in, in and out of the wedding, those long, drawn-out scenes in the darkness. I, Sergio, it is so antithetical to the way movies the pacing of movies today. I don't even know how millennials or younger people could go for this movie because it's just a completely different can pacing. I, can but, I tell you? Can I, can I tell you a little personal story? Go. Okay. Uh, uh, I had an aunt in Mississippi. Her name was um, uh, Aunt Minibel. Wonderful woman. And uh, my father and I went to see her. You know, we, we went to see her down south. Okay, where she lived. And she lived in this big, like, ornate house, right? And every morning, she would be, she had this little, like, room in the back, ornate room with stuff everywhere. And people would come in every morning and ask her to do favors. It, it, they could do, and she could do favors for them. And, you know, oh, well, my brother and so-and-so and this and that. And my aunt would say, okay, I'll take care of it. <laughs> and another person will come and okay, I, I'll take yeah. care of it. And it, it, I would be sitting in the room and she's like, oh, this is my nephew from Chicago. Say hello. And I'm thinking, this is right out of the Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> There's always someone who gets it done. Uh, right. But here's the thing. That opening sequence yeah. was inspired by the wedding sequence in Lucino Visconti's film, The Leopard. Mm. With Burt Lancaster, yeah. that movie, which is about the end of the, the, the coming of the end of the aristocracy in the 1850s when Italy, Italy was coming together, the last hour of the movie it's a it's a three hour movie. The last hour of the movie is just a giant wedding banquet at the end of a wedding, and Marlon, I'm sorry, Burt Lancaster so like gifts around all these ornate rooms in his villa his palace and listens to conversation and what's going on. And that sequence, which like I said, is over an hour long, it has inspired a lot of filmmakers. The Deer Hunter in the beginning of the film, once again, a big wedding and a big reception afterwards. That that sequence in The Godfather is very much inspired, inspired by the leopard. You know, this whole idea of taking a family situation and using it as a microcosm for society. Mm -hmm. And that's what that wedding sequence does. It's not only just the family, it's like what the family does. And the relationship between the family and other rival families. And of course, there's always the threat of uh, publicity. Because you know, when you go after the reporters, because we don't want any pictures taken. You know, every time somebody takes a picture, get that cameraman, you know. I will say what it, what, it, what it does too, though. I mean, again, like going back to runtime, like Godfather's a long movie. It, it breezed by for me this time. But I, I will say, in addition, Sergio, what I think, which is cool, is what it does, is it, it's, it introduces the characters. It also introduces the world really well, right? It lets you know some yeah. of these rules. This is the like, world we live in. Right? Yeah, I can come, I can come to you on the day of my daughter's wedding and ask her a favor, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to ask you. Well, Michael is like telling us a little bit about stuff as he's telling um, the Diane Keaton character, Kay, right? So we're like, 
it's like ornate and it's cool. We're seeing some tradition and we're meeting characters, but it's also like helping us understand the rules that like we're about to kind of experience of the world we're about to experience for a few hours, which I thought was really cool too. Well, let me, uh, before we leave this first scene uh, and go to uh, with the flaws of the movie. Uh, what flaws? I, yeah, well, we'll get to that. Uh, but well, so, yeah, There's something else I got to mention about the opening sequence too, but go ahead. But Okay, well, so I'm going to ask each of you, if you were leading a class on The Godfather, and the class was filled with younger people who are not used to a movie of the, with this pace, how would you explain to them the significance? What would you say to demonstrate uh, the significance of this opening sequence uh, in terms of just the camera work, in terms of the color of the movie, in terms of the dialogue, it's of, in terms of the way they set the stage for what uh, would come. And, and, and Sergio, you've already talked about in terms of what movie influenced it and how it influenced other movies, but just be a little more specific. I'll start with you, Chris. Like, What would, you, what would your uh, lecture, if you will, be on this opening? Yeah, well, I mean, it is a master class in cinematography, Gordon Willis, right? I mean, the, the, the sepia or whatever, the darker tones they use. It's a master class in acting with Pacino. And uh, I mean, even like, you know, the I don't know who plays Clemens. I don't know these guys' names, but like everyone playing the part so beautifully. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm just going to repeat what I said. I think what, what in, in addition to what Sergio was saying about kind of like the, the theatricality and like the laying out the, the, the traditions and everything we're seeing, I, I really liked how it kind of introduced the rules of the world. Right. I mean, so it's like, it, it's, it's doing a couple things. It's show, it's showing you these, this awesome scope, but it's also letting you know here who here, who these people are. And, uh, and here's the code that they live by. So like it like and now you're primed for the rest of the movie. I don't know if that answers like a film class, you know, student why you should sit down and watch a three hour movie. Besides it being an awesome movie end to end, but uh, <laughs> that's my that's my attempt at an answer. Well, the the obvious thing also is that uh, just from a, like a literary standpoint, it, the the obvious contradiction between the love for family or the facade of family uh, that covers up the deadliness of this man's profession uh, and how they're interwoven. Uh, so it could be two things at once. Sergio, you said there are no flaws to this movie, and I'm laughing. No, but because I have to add something about that opening go ahead, scene. Go because ahead. I have, I, you know, have tough screenwriting, and I have used The Godfather as an example. And uh, one of the things I use it as an example of the inciting incident. Every movie has an inciting incident. What something happens at the beginning of the movie that sets everything into motion. It can be something very small, something you may not notice, or can be very large. But something starts off the story. And I always ask, when I use that students, I said, what's the sight incident of the Godfather? Everybody always gets it wrong. They always say, well, when Don Corleone was shot. No. When somebody was shot, no, that's not. The exciting incident is when Michael shows up at the wedding. That's inside an incident because look what happens in that movie. Before he shows up, everybody's talking about him. Everybody, where's Michael? Is Michael here yet? Michael, where's Michael? Michael's not here yet. Where's Michael? That's the Coppola is, is, and Cusa did a masterful job. They're saying to the audience, this is going to be the guy. It's going to be everything. Everything that happens in this movie afterwards is because, because of Michael or Michael's involved. He is the person, not the godfather. He's the guy. 
One thing I never noticed. Yeah, maybe, maybe right. I had, one thing I noticed this time watching is uh, specifically when Michael's walking through and uh, and Vito Corleone, his father, is peering out the slat uh, windows right. at him as he's walking through. I'd never noticed that before. Yeah, by the way, the slats, uh, they were taken. I mean, everything comes together when you see it. I've watched so many 70s movies so many times. The slats reminded me of Chinatown, the opening scene with the slatted uh, uh uh, whatever, what are they called? Whatever they're called, those slatted uh, Venetian, Venetian blinds. blinds. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my god, Curly, don't eat. You can't eat the blinds, Curly. Anyway, that's Chinatown mixing up my '70s movies. Ben, I got, I got one for you. If I, do you mind if I just jump in on Go. something? Which I actually, so Robert Town wrote scenes of The Godfather. Did you yes. know that? He wrote the death scene, but he wrote the scene where uh, uh, Vito's on his deathbed talking to Michael, and uh, and then just to bring it out to a bigger scope. The, the relationship between Paramount Pictures and Robert Town obviously exploded, but they met at the first screening because he was Coppola's boy. Robert Town was Coppola's guy. I think maybe he had written some other stuff for him. I don't know what Robert Town had done before, but he was probably done uncredited rewrites. Well, or he, he didn't work with Roger Corman. Yeah. Oh, Corman. Oh, had he? Okay, cool. Yeah, I didn't yes, know that. Yes, he did. I love Corman. But yeah, so, you know, you, you, you love Chinatown, obviously. Like, that is the linchpin to the last detail, Chinatown, Paramount, uh, Robert Town, and uh, Robert Evans relationship which are obviously some of our favorite movies as well but i did not know that he had written a script doctored some scenes that weren't working for uh well you know i mean i don't want to go down this path because this is just really nerd land uh and it's i think we're living in it baby (laughs) but i mean just i don't know when it gets to like who wrote what in uh the godfather there's just so many competing claims where people are trying to take credit uh, for what is now recognized as one of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, I'm just giving credit to Coppola. I'm first credit to uh, Puzo, Mario Puzo. Well, Puzo did work on the script yes. as well. I think and he wrote the freaking the book. Uh, it's yeah. called... Which, by the way, I've never read. I've never oh, I've read the book. Read, it was, oh, my God. You talk about an influential book in one man's life. But I will avoid going down that path. All right, Sergio. I can't believe you say there are no flaws to this movie because you uh, you said the flaw on Wednesday when we were talking politics, and I watched What's it last flaw? night. And I saw it. It's uh, when Sonny loses his temper, the uh, James Con character, uh, w- uh, and he goes after his brother-in-law because the brother he, sure. he hates, you know, yep. for all the obvious reasons because the brother is beating up his uh, sister. And he probably doesn't like the guy anyway, uh, so he beats the guy up for beating his sister. The first punch that he throws is such an obvious miss. I seen. I never noticed it until Sergio said the other day in the show he misses. And Chris Buddy, it's true. He throws the punch. It's such an obvious miss. They should have. I thought he pushes him. I thought he pushes him against the wall. I guess I missed he the miss. Against the wall, and he's giving him. He's getting right jab and left jab. But one right cross, he pulled. <laughs> pulls it too tight. Oh, and he man. didn't punch exactly. the guy. And you see the guy react like he got hit. You know, and <laughs> oh, I, I missed it. It always kills me when I see it. Now, here's here's something which I can't prove. Yeah. But this is another trivia thing. The incident when Sonny is killed, that infamous scene. Yeah. Jones Beach Cardway. I think that was inspired by the assassination of uh, Trujillo in Dominican Republic. The dictator, Trujillo, doing because that's how they killed him. He was going down the highway. A car came in front of him. A car came in back of him. And the guys came out with machine guns and shot him to pieces. And I don't know if that was inspired by it, but I don't know. It's It, it might could have been another game. I saw Body and Clyde. It really, it really reminded me of the scene. The way it's shot, too, it reminds me of uh, Arthur Pe- of um, 
Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, I just said that. Yeah. 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 The, the, uh, doesn't the tall guy drop the change? He ducks down. And I think Bonnie That's and Clyde, right. someone dives, and they're like, what are you doing? Right. Yeah. And then, yeah. under, boom, 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 boom. A truck or something? Right. Yeah. Right. I uh, yeah, now the flaw. So that's okay. I'll start with flaws since I see you guys don't want to say anything flawed about this movie. I'm thinking I'm not. Uh, well, I'll tell you right now, which is a flaw, and I'll stand by it. Okay. Diane Keaton is weak. There, I said it. I put it out there. I got it out there. But don't you think it's she's a weak role? It's a weak role. I don't know. If she's it, weak. It's a weak role. Don't you think she's supposed to be? I mean, she is. She's simply somebody in a. She's in a world she doesn't understand. She is this very white waspy. Probably went to Wesleyan or some women's college, and now she's <laughs> this gangster. <laughs> Gangsters, and she's in a world she she can't comprehend anything. You can make the argument the true love of Michael is the woman he met when he's in exile in in, in Sicily. Yeah, Apollonia. Apollonia. Yeah. Right. Um. And she is second place. And I guess you can see that she will always be second place yeah. in his heart. Well, no, well, let me, let me. Yeah, I love okay. Diane. I love Diane Keaton. Wow. I don't know that. I, are you saying she's Wait, time out. I want to actress? amend what I said because I think uh, yeah. I was misunderstood. I'm not saying her character is a weak character and is a pushover uh, to Michael Corleone because, yes. Well, I, I would say that. I, I, that's I, what no, I would, say. I, I would oh. say yes, that is true. And that's the point Sergio is making. I absolutely agree with you, Sergio. What I'm saying is the performance itself was weak. She didn't bring her A game. I don't know if she has an A game. And by the way, I'm going to say. Oh, she's got an A game. I well, I'm going to say one thing, it. and I'll let you go, Chris, because I'm going to just say this. I rewatched about a year or two ago uh, Annie Hall, and I walked away, and I go, I can't believe I love this movie so much. Diane Keaton is just, like, I, I don't know what other word to use than weak, but she doesn't well, have the A game. Yeah. Chris Buddy, you're free to defend Diane Keaton, and then Sergio <laughs> will go in. Go. I'll defend Diane Keaton. I mean, I haven't seen Annie Hall in a while, but like, she's a quirk. She's basically playing her wacky self with her wardrobe and her kind of la-di-da, whatever. I'll, like, I'm not going to defend Annie Hall now. I'll defend her performance in Godfather. It's whatever. It's not. It's nothing. You're right. I mean, a, a amongst a, a masterful you know, acting uh, uh, ensemble, I think her character's weak. I think she's too easy, right? She's. I don't know if that's the book. I don't know if it's the story. She's too easy, and maybe that's her Wesleyan character, like Sergio's saying. But she's minor. She's so minor, but then she becomes – I mean, I, I kind of am starting to think about it now. She's so big at the end, right, to have to get lied to at the end. She has to be lied to. So, But she's so easily along the way. He leaves dinner with her. She He disappears for years. She shows up <laughs> once. I mean, it's just too easy of a character. So maybe it's just window dressing. But I don't know. I love Diane Keaton, so I don't know that she was necessarily bad in the role. All right, Sergio, uh, feel free, or you could pass if you want to, but I thought it was well, a very weak. you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but you can see the attraction she has to Michael because there is something mysterious and dangerous about him. Normally, someone like her character, Kay, would marry some stockbroker, have a nice home in Connecticut. Uh, you know, be part of the women's club and hold the social gatherings and the whole kind of stuff. Living with Michael is exciting, you know, because he's a man of mystery. There's a man of danger. It gets more dangerous in Godfather 2. We're going to have to talk about that. Um, so, yeah, I can see her attraction, her attraction to her, but she's in a male-dominant society. This is a very masculine, very macho, male-dominant society. 
women are expected to be mothers, caretakers of the children, to, you know, you um, go back now because the men now have to talk about business. Yeah, look at the way Sonny treats his, his women, you know. I mean, <laughs> but I will say, I will sure, say, yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, I mean, it, it, and maybe it's a character thing because we, there's not, we don't know anything about her. We don't know anything about Kay. She's just there. We don't know anything about her backstory. I mean, we're kind of inferring some things, but, you know, I think it's, it might just be the least drawn character. All right. Maybe that. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll concede that point. Uh, her <laughs> character's not fully fleshed out, but I just thought it was just a weak performance. All right. I have a list of scenes that uh, are my favorite scenes. That, uh, But I, I'd just like to ask you guys uh, just what pops to your mind. Uh, so, uh, Sergio, when I say to you, your favorite scene in The Godfather, uh, what pops into your head? It has to be the whole baptism. Yes. Massacre scene, oh um, unbelievable. unbelievable. That is that is masterful. Um, violent. It was violent, but it's masterful, and it just shows to do the whole duality of Michael. It's amazing, and also shows the mastery of Coppola because I, I don't know if Paramount really knew what they were getting when they when they hired Coppola to make the movie. Coppola was somehow inspired. You know, he may have been reluctant to make the movie at first, but he found his voice. And remember, two years later, 74, he had Godfather 2 and The Conversation. Yeah, the best. That same year. Both films were nominated for Oscars. Both times he was nominated. I mean, you couldn't get bigger or more important than Coppola. It's a, it's just a... It's one of the most stunning achievements among film directors. It really was. You talk about a golden period. Like I said, I love the 70s. Like, I love the 70s. Greatest decade of filmmaking ever. But um, And there were so many directors of that period. The recently passed uh, Peter Bogdanovich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that guy had a career. I mean, it went like that. But he had a moment. But boy, what a moment he had. They were all auteurs, right? They were all auteurs. Right. If you want to go down. All right. So, Chris, your uh, favorite scene. Well, I mean, he stole the best one, Sergio. (laughs) You know, I got a small one. I got got a real small one. It's a moment. It's a small moment. It's just like when I was watching it again, I I had to rewind it because it was so awesome. It's when after Michael gets punched in the face and they're all back in the war room with with, um, Duvall, Sonny, Clemenza. um, And he just flat out says, "If, if you can get me a gun in that room. And I'll just kill them both. Just matter of fact. That's like that's my favorite line of the movie. And the way he says it, and the camera is pushing in on him slowly, and it lands. And like, you get me a gun in there, and I'll kill them both. Awesome. Yeah, and they all laugh at him. They laugh, but no. But you know, Sonny looks at him for a second, and then Clemenza starts laughing. So you can tell that Duvall, uh, excuse me, that James Conn's character, Sonny, was 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 believing it for a second, and then the room breaks. Well, I could. Well, and the other thing yeah. too is the. And then it happens. The other thing I love is when Clemenza is teaching Michael, this is how you're going to have to kill this guy and what to do. And this is a guy mentoring a young man. I mean, in the gangster business. But Clemenza is talking from experience. I have done this. And he does it in the movie. You know, you know, leave the gun, get the cannoli. Um, um, but this is a guy who has been a survivor in in the trade for a a, 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 a a sort of 
line of work that people don't live very long. And he has been a survivor. And he's teaching Michael, this is how it's done. You want to kill somebody? Okay, I'm going to teach you how you kill somebody and get away with it. You know, don't run out the room. Walk out the room. Drop, drop the gun. The gun. That's a great thing because the first time you say, drop the gun, Michael. Michael, when are you going to drop the gun? Drop the gun. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's and then walks out. Yeah. What a great scene. Um, I, yeah, that's awesome. But, you know, uh, you just made me think of something. I had always heard that uh, that line that Clemenza said, uh, uh, leave the gun, take the cannolis, was improvised, which I don't know. It would be amazing if it was. I mean, no, I think line. it is. I just read that in the New York Times. That w- I think that's yeah, what I read it. Yeah, that was the improvised awesome. line. That's, uh, that's a different scene where when he says but that. It's, it's one of those movies, you know, you don't have, you don't have dialogue today. Where people, it becomes part of the lexicon. You know, I'm going to make an offer. He can't refuse. Everybody's saying that everywhere. You know, and and uh, the opening line of that movie, I believe in America. The opening line of that movie. You know, the wow, what a line to open a movie with. You know, and then you find out why this guy believes in America. <laughs> Ben, do you, what's your favorite? Because I have another one. If you'll go and don't, go. I, I can talk uh, favorites. I got like twenty of them. So go on. <laughs> There's something. I mean, God, you know, it's funny because it's hard for me now because now, and I don't know if you guys experience this too. We know so much more because we've seen two and three. Maybe we've seen. I've seen three once, but I've seen two a thousand times <laughs> as well. But, but, um, and maybe that's not fair. But. Uh, you know, we know so much more about Fredo. We know so much more about all these people. But like these, you know, you really only get at face value. Let's talk about Fredo for a second at face value in number one, right? He really only has a few major scenes, right? When he can't pull the gun out, he like flubs the gun when Vito's getting shot, and then when Mo Green is kind of a, back in Vegas, that scene where they walk in and he's talking about Fredo hooking up with uh, cocktail waitresses and like what a kind of a you know just a, a whatever. A schlub or whatever you want to call Fredo. That scene, I was like laughing out loud, just like you know, it's Fredo in that scene getting beaten down by Mo Green. And I don't know, something about it is comical and, and, when they walk in. Yeah, and then uh, uh, Al Pacino sticks up for his uh, brother. Amazing. Uh, yeah. And uh, listen, I go, I just everything's politics with me, uh, Sergio. As soon as you mentioned uh, the scene, the baptism uh, being juxtaposed with the murder, where he, by the way, I didn't. Re- I, he's renouncing Satan. He's yeah. like literally Al Pacino, Marco Corleone. Is, do you, the priest says, do you renounce Satan? He goes, I renounce Satan. And they cut to the the, <laughs> the extermination of these gangsters. Uh, I was I remember interviewing uh, then Alderman Luis Gutierrez. This is in the 80s, uh, and uh, right before he became congressman. And we got onto the subject of, of movies, his favorite scene. His favorite scene was that scene because that's how you play the game, my friend. <laughs> you let him see. This is part of the legacy of the Godfather, Sergio, because and it may be an, it's maybe a legacy that Coppola didn't want. In a way, it sanctions gangster behavior. Think about this. It's like this is how you should behave. It's a jungle out there, and if you uh, you got to be as ruthless as your opponent. Yeah, but here's the, the underpinning, though. There have been many, many gangster movies. God knows how many gangster films there have been, they've been made. But in most films, gangsters were loners. They were solitary people. In some cases, like why he's a psychopath. Godfather, they're family men. 
And that's always the underpinning of this movie, which is why, in a way, you root for them. Because this movie shows examples. This is a really loving family. You happen to be in a business that nobody wants to be in a business in. But they're a loving family. So you kind of pull for them because you want to see them. You know, I think they, I think they did go. I mean, you know, it, it just in hearing, reading articles and interviews with Coppola, he didn't want I me. Mean, he didn't want to uh, glamorize or glorify the Italian American mafia. Like that wasn't his agenda. So I think, Sergio, I take your point really well. Like I mean, this is just these guys' lives. This is someone teaching someone how to throw a baseball. Except he's got duct tape on the gun, right? Like that's that's the world they're presenting. Um, and it's honest. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, and again, I do now I'm going to go into meditation in Chicago politics, but there's an ethos in Chicago politics. If someone punches you, you, punches them, you punch them back three times harder so they'll never punch you again. That's straight up Godfather. And like, and it's just, I, if Coppola didn't want to get that message out, he failed. You talk about another failure in the movie, that would be failure number one, that somehow or other he glorified the very message he wanted to... Uh, warn people about it i uh i feel that that I, you could include that as a failure i'm going to throw this scene out there uh this is a very small scene but it has resonance with me uh so it's during the wedding and sunny sneaks up to a bedroom uh to have a dalliance uh with a woman in the book it, it's a whole backstory about that which they cut they don't have that in the in the movie uh and he, he, he he's uh, making love to her against the door, and it's slamming the door because he's so forceful as a lover, and she's calling out his name. And uh, that had a very profound effect to me <laughs> when I first saw it because, Sergio Mims, about a, two weeks before I saw it, there was some kid in gym bragging about it. He was like, yeah, man, I had this girl, and I was just banging her against the name. She, the, she was going, Bubba. His name was Bubba. Bubba, Bubba, and I was bringing the heat. And I'm like, God damn, Bubba's really something else. And all of a sudden, I see the movie. I'm like, wait a minute, Bubba. <laughs> uh, Lord, the legacy of the Godfather, man. Became... Wait, who's, uh, who's outside the door? Is it Tom? Is yeah, it, uh, uh, is it yeah. yeah, he's outside. I think it's Duvall. Yeah, it is Duvall. Duvall is outside the door. Right. Uh, so he kind of laughs and, and grins. Right. Yeah. So um, yeah, go ahead, Serge. I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you going to say? No. Um, the, the, movie, the movie has so many great lines. It's so filled with such rich detail. As you said before, you know, you can watch this film no matter how many times you always discover something new. You didn't notice that before, like the Venetian blind shot. You always discover something new. You always find a different take on something you've seen previously. So um, it's one of those. You know, movies, rare movies where everything just came together. That's really rare. When everything, and you don't know when it's happening, it just all came together. The, the right script, the right director, the right cast, it all just came together. Which didn't seem that way when they were making it, but that's what it turned out. And then when they did Godfather 2, which, once again, I can make the argument it's maybe better than Godfather, that, you know, but... Godfather, Godfather raised it to a, Godfather two raised it to a whole other. All level. right, let's close it down. A more, let's close it down with that. Personal, deeper level. Let's close it down with that. Let's just right now take a stand. No ducking, no dodging. Godfather <laughs> one versus Godfather two. We'll start with Chris Buddy. Which one do you prefer? Go ahead. 
yeah. So I'm gonna. I'm not dodging, but I'm gonna caveat it. So for you, I mean, I would have knee jerk said Godfather too because of this. I think the scope and the backstory with Vito and De Niro obviously is awesome, and Vegas, Hyman Roth, it's, it's all awesome. I would have said two all day, but and maybe the answer is whichever I've seen last because two nights ago I watched Godfather one. I was like, oh my god, this is the better one. So I think my answer is whichever one I'd seen last. Sergio. I got to say Godfather 2. I love Godfather. Godfather 2 is, once again, he took, and, and once again, you would think they could have gotten, they could have taken the easy way out and just done another rip of a Godfather or something cheap and fast. No, he went on a whole other level. I mean, going to the past and going to what was, well, what was then the future, which is the 1950s in Vegas. And Meyer Lansky, basically Herman Roth. And, um, it, and of course, they really brought up the character of Fredo uh, in, in, in the movie. Uh, they had to because that causes another, once again, dilemma for Michael. And one that even cuts him deeper, you know. Fredo and two is one of the best movie characters of all time. Oh, Fredo. Right. Okay. So and then if if I had to name my favorite scene from Godfather 2, I have to see the Superman scene. All right. Scene. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. anyway. <laughs> all right. So here we go. That uh this is a, a Sergio trivia question, Chris, that emerged when again we were talking politics with Monroe Anderson. So let's see if you can do this. Uh in Godfather One and Godfather Two, uh there is one black character. Name the black character. Uh, across both? In two, or just in two? two in, no, in, uh, I'm sorry, in the two movies, in the, there's all two full movies, six hours of movies, there's one black character. You might say that's a flaw, uh, that there's only one black character. Name the black character. I had said there were none, and then Sergio Mims corrected me uh, on Wednesday's show. This is a trivia question that would stump the masses. I'll give you a... Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, well, Sergio already gave a hint. He kind of let the cat out of the bag. Uh, so, Sergio, take it away. Give the answer. Yeah, Superman. It's Superman. <laughs> yep. Superman in Cuba. Uh, right. Is... And also the musicians are black, too. The guys who are playing the jazz. Musicians. Oh, yes, in the background. But, yeah, but Superman, yeah. right. Who's like, It was based on a real person. Yes. Uh, a real person uh, in Havana at that time who went by that name. But Superman. but I don't think a, a black actor gets a, a line. I don't think Superman no, has a not line. A line. Not a line. No. Wow. Just think about that, no. for ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and yet the movie has Sergio... A profound impact on black exploitation movies that followed. I think you'll agree with that one. Uh, well, yeah, to a certain extent, it did. And but also, um, the movie in one line in The Godfather exposes the racism of gangsters when they're discussing about the, the drug trade. I noticed that this time through. And, yeah. and that one character said, "Let those uh, n words have their drugs. They have no souls." And I go. Then that that line always cuts me. Like always, when every time I hear it, I'm like, "Wow!" But that was the attitude, you know, the idea. We're going to peddle these drugs to black communities, to Hispanic communities, because they're less than human, and we'll make money off of them. And and um, you didn't expect, <laughs> of course, white people also get involved in the drugs too. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's but, not just uh, the black people. 
Uh, right. Um, but that was, that's what, what they thought. At yeah. The time. yeah it's, a, it's a tough line, but it's obviously an honest sentiment at the time, right? It, it was. was. It was a very, that's those, exactly. Yeah. It was a very honest sentiment. And once again, I, um, uh, a plea for no cancellation, right? I mean, cancel culture. Don't cut that line, you know, that because that is the attitude. One thing's about older films, even though this movie was made in 72, but films that deal with a over period is that it shows the attitudes of people in society at the time. Yeah. I'm, yeah. And this I'm movie with you, with you. set in the, after the war, 46, 47, 48, that was the attitude. Yeah, absolutely. That was the attitude. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that one, Sergio. Although I do have troubles. And now let's not go down the Tarantino path. I saw Pulp Fiction <laughs> not long ago and Tarantino's character uh, with the N word is just it's, his character. Yeah, him. yeah literally him. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. It's like, I don't care. Q, come on. Wait, Ben, did you go one or two or, or three for that matter? Did you give oh, us your, uh, uh, no three? Forget three, man. <laughs> Three's not even in the <laughs> equation. Uh, I, um, as much as I enjoyed Godfather one, uh, I have to agree with Sergio. Godfather two, I find just. As, uh, I can't even get the words out. I think it, as, it's the right it, answer. It, it's I the right mean, answer. it's just there's so much about the politics of America in Godfather Two that appeals to me, and how gangsters you could just and gangsters are just a, like a, a, a metaphor people for corporate Americans in many ways are have just taken over, and uh, politicians are controlled uh, by unseen outside forces. You know the 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 um, illustration they use for the book is of powerful people dangling from the string of the puppet master. And uh, that was... Well, you know, uh, they mentioned the puppet master too. Yes. Which I, I think I, did, I hadn't noticed yes. before. He says the line, well, who's going to be controlling the Yeah, and, and the yeah, that's Marlon Brando says that to Al Pacino when they're sitting in the yeah. tomato patch garden right before he dies. And he says, I wanted you uh, to be the senator, Corleone. I wanted you, the governor, to be the guy controlling the strings. Uh, but when you, when you watch Godfather 2, it's the other way around. It's the gangster's controlling the strings just a magnificent movie uh we'll have to do a whole show on that sometime all right uh before i let you go i want you uh, gentlemen to promote anything you want to promote uh we'll start uh, chris buddy we didn't even introduce you right it's made us a, a documentary <laughs> filmmaker uh do you got uh any showings you want to talk about or anything you want? no i'm good i'm uh, I'm, uh, I'm noodling around with some things that yeah, i think you know about or that are a little bit under wraps okay or we'll just keep it at that his his movie about uh uh, gambling is outstanding. I just want to say that he's being very modest all of a sudden tonight. Well, that's still out yeah. there. Yeah, if you want to take a look at that, that's on uh, Amazon Prime and a few other. Uh, um, and the name, and the name platforms. of the movie, please, is Inside the Edge. Yeah, Inside the Edge, great flick. Uh, Sergio, uh, you got any updates? Black Carpets Film Festival, anything like that? No, not yet. We're still. Um, we won't start accepting submissions until next month. But uh, I do want to promote the fact that I will be part of the TCM Classic Movies Festival in Los Angeles next month, April 21st to the 24th. I will be introducing at least two movies there and doing a Q&A afterwards. And I think the Q&As will be taped for broadcast. So you'll be seeing me on TCM. And, and, and you told me this on Wednesday. The movie, What are the movies? Well, one one is uh, one I will be introducing is Lisa the Field. They're doing a whole Sidney Pony retrospective, uh, showing several of his movies. And since I did the commentary for Lisa the Field for Kino, 
Uh, they actually didn't fly me in to do that. And then um, you should have heard today. But the film I'm trying for them to get is um, Buck and the Preacher because Buck and the Preacher is the 50th another 50th anniversary movie this year. The first movie he directed, and uh, it's a wonderful, funny, um, entertaining movie. You know, Sergio, I was going to ask you that, though, and I didn't get a chance. I saw Buck and the Preacher uh, when it came out. Okay, I was a, a obsessive Sidney Poitier fan. I could go on and on about that. I'm not. I don't think I've seen it since. Does it stand the test of time? Yeah, it does. It really does. Even though there's a flaw in the middle of the movie, which they kill off the bad guy halfway through the film, but it's still entertaining, and they still have other situations they get involved in. But now you understand a villain. You got a great villain. You got to keep him to the end, and then give him a big send off. Yeah, but um. Um, yeah, very much. And, you know, when you think about the three leads in that movie, Poitiers, Ruby D, and Harry Belafonte, Harry Belafonte is still here, still with us. His birthday was just two weeks ago. He's 95. Wow. Wow, that'd be awesome if you could bring him to the Black Harvest Film Festival. No, he's, he's under seclusion now. I think he's oh, okay. He doesn't do that. pretty frail okay. health and everything. He, he has already right. said no more personal appearances and everything. Okay. All right, well, then we'll just have to go with uh, Francis Ford Coppola uh, at this year's Black Harvest Film Festival. Which well, I he did direct Cotton with. Club. Yes, he did. <laughs> Another Robert Evans-produced uh, film as well. Yes, and uh, I think it pretty much... No, I haven't seen the career. recut. You know, recently, it's on, it's on available on the Blu-ray now. He re-edited the movie. Oh, really? Because the version that came out wasn't what he liked, and I hear it's better... But I haven't seen it yet. Chris, buddy, your thoughts. Uh, we'll close. We'll get you the closing thoughts on C- Cotton Club. Uh, this is these two guys could do this all night, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know. I never really latched on to Cotton Club. There's some things in it that are kind of cool, but I never really. It's not the saga masterpiece that I thought that I think they wanted it to be. Yeah. All right. Very good. We've run out of time. Uh, Sergio Mins and uh, Chris Buddy, the two of the most knowledgeable film people I know. Thank you very much for taking time to indulge me in my obsession with The Godfather. I'll probably watch it again tonight. That's how uh, weird I am. Uh, So uh, thank you, Sergio. Thank you, Chris. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Take care.